Welcome to Let's Talk Death, conversations to inform and inspire. Let's Talk Death is being brought to you by Heal Grief, a nonprofit providing the tools and resources to support one's journey with grief. We seek to empower individuals to achieve a healthy post-bereavement growth. Everything we do is inspired by our core belief that no one should ever grieve alone. Let's Talk Death is a series of conversations with some amazing people from various fields. Our goal through these conversations is to normalize, educate, and demystify the taboo around death, dying, and the journey of grief. Hello, welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Death. I'm Fran Solomon. And I'm Andy McNeil. And we are thrilled to be your host for these conversations. Our guest today is Xander Masser. Xander is an occupational therapist, husband, father, musician, and author of the narrative photography book, Unburying My Father. Xander's father, Randy, contracted HIV from contaminated blood products to treat his hemophilia and died in 2000 from age-related illnesses. Xander, at the time, was a young 14-year-old boy. 20 years later, Xander unburied 10,000 slides from Randy's career as a professional photographer, which prompted him to dig deeper into his father's life. What started as a photography project evolved into a transformative exploration of living with and healing from grief. Xander, we are delighted to have you on our show. Very delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Hi, Xander. Before we speak about your book, your work, your journey, may I first take you back to when you were that 15-year-old boy whose father died, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, so um, maybe I'll start by just talking about um, the night he died. Um, I remember vividly, and I write about this in the book, um, sitting in his hospital room and kind of sitting on his bed and holding his hand. And he was had so many medications and drugs in him. And he was so ill that he couldn't really converse with me. And he was kind of like, his eyes were opening and closing. And, you know, this is a memory I can just step into so easily. And the last thing I said to him was that I love you. And he wasn't able to respond, but I do believe that he heard me. Um, And when I stepped out of the room, my mom was there you know, my mom, myself, and my brother each like took a minute to ourselves with him. And she asked me if I was afraid that he was going to die. And I said, yes. And I gave her a hug and I cried. And that was the first time she ever asked me that question. And, you know, I bring that up because we knew my father was sick uh, for a long time. And while I did have that fear no one had ever asked me that before until the night he died. So I'll, I'll start with that. Um, but, you know, after that, it, it's, it's, you know, it's a difficult question to ask, what was it like? But it was so incredibly difficult, painful. Um, and I remember the first few thoughts and feelings after I found out he died the next morning was that I, I just couldn't see a path forward. I, I didn't, I didn't understand how I would be able to live my life. And obviously I have, but in those moments and on that morning, the, the, those were the, the fleeting moments that I was actually able to think at all 
that's what went through my head. Thank you for sharing for sharing your, your story. I know that that many of our listeners will um, connect with that. Uh, maybe even having similar experiences. And uh, so often a lot of the work that I've done with kids is how, how often kids have to keep all of that stays to themselves. Like people don't ask typically. And so it, it becomes not just a difficult journey, but also a, an isolated journey for so many, so many kids along the way. I think too, as a kid, um, you know, it was the beginning of my adolescence, which is a particularly hard time for anybody. Um, but it was, you know, extra hard to go that at that age. But like you were saying, nobody asks. And at least when I was a kid, I wasn't encouraged to talk about it. And it wasn't modeled in my family. We didn't, we didn't talk about what we kind of knew was going to happen. It was never talked about. But then after he died, you know, it's like I spent years um, being shown that we we stay silent or we have our own internal experiences. But then after he died, I was pushed into therapy and bereavement groups and asked to then in a state of basically shock and, and mourning and really intense grief to then open up and start talking about it. And it didn't work for me. You know, I, subsequently over the years, you know, some therapy has worked, but in those years and, and those times, I wasn't ready, I wasn't available, and I wasn't willing to share. And, you know, only in retrospect, uh, after going through the project that I've created, did I realize how unfair that was and how unfair it, 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 it feels now looking back. It's interesting how, uh, how people around us think they know what's best for us in those moments. But again, they don't even ask us those things. So it's not only not asking us about the person, but it's assuming what we need and then thrusting us into that. Right. As opposed to really. And of course, I mean, quite frankly, we probably don't even know what we need at that moment either, but we, we definitely, when we get into the midst of something, we certainly know that this is not it. Like we know what it is not by the, the things that surround us. Yeah. And I think too, like after my experience of after he died, set me on a, uh, I think a trajectory, at least it, it contributed to my trajectory, which was that after he died, so much of the focus of whatever, um, services I was receiving or whatever healing was being attempted was how to cope with death. And what really got lost, I think was, my father's life. We didn't talk about his life enough. And that set me on a path of almost 20 years of a constant churning and processing of what does it mean? What does my dad's death mean? How did, how has it impacted me? And, and, you know, how does it influence my life? And this project that I've done, this book that I've written on burying my father is a complete pivot to life. And as I learned about my father's life and his, uh, his story unfolded, I came to realize that my father's life had so much more of an impact on me than his death, but I didn't know about his life. You know, I was 14 when he died, we didn't have adult conversations and that's a whole other theme about him not sharing with me. But as I learned about him and as people shared stories about him, I was like, Oh, that's, that's me. You're, you're telling a story about my dad, but that could be me. 
And it was so beautiful and amazing to have these kinds of experiences of hearing stories like that. And it's completely shifted my focus. And, you know, when I say transformative, that's what I mean is that it has transformed how I view my grief, my father's life compared to his death. And yeah, it's been an amazing, beautiful journey that, that uh, this book has taken me on. Interesting you say that. We we quite often have members that come into our community that um, have been bereaved maybe five, ten years and are really starting to seek that journey about who their person was, especially if their person had died when they were in adolescence or as a young adult. You know, they reach those milestones of self-identity and who who are they and, and where did they come from that they really seek to learn the life the person led more so than the, the journey of their grief. So it's really what you said really resonates with what we've heard. Yeah, and I'll add on to that, which is that one of the most incredible parts of learning, relearning and learning about my father is as I was doing so much outreach, I reached out to probably somewhere between 40 and 50 people. And I, and I asked for stories about my dad, specifically stories, not, I didn't want them to like describe my dad. I wanted to hear their memories of him. One of the amazing results and outcomes of this is that it allowed me to realize and this especially solidified when I, I had all these stories from other people. Then I started sharing my own story, realized how not isolated I am or was because there were so many other people who were also experiencing my father's life and death and still grieving him. And so as I lived 20 years in, in isolation, because that's what I put myself through, I realized that I didn't have to do that. And it was just like this, this incredible thing. And, and then to put it in a book, it, it turned it into this metaphor where it's like, here's a highly personal story, but it's also highly collective. You know, there's 40 people that sent me stories. There's about 20 or so that are published in the book. And I'm just a part of it. You know, I'm an important part of it, but, you know, there's a lot of people. And, and that was really powerful for me. Let's Talk Death is being brought to you by Heal Grief, a 501c3. As a nonprofit, we are reliant on the kind generosity of our donors. If you are inspired by our mission, we ask you to go to healgrief.org backslash donations to help us continue our great work. No gift is too small. So the, the title, uh, it, to me, it's a striking title and it's... I mean, I'll just, I think it's a brilliant title, really. I'm curious how, how you came about with the title, like, you know, how you came up with the title. Was it a, you woke up one morning and went, oh, I've got the title or was it, uh, you know, was there a, just a kind of a transition to the title or how did that come about? I'm curious. I th- well, I actually remember the moment that I came up with it, which was in discussion with my wife, who's been a a really big part of this project too. Um, We were hiking on a mountain in upstate New York and which is often where we would have a lot of our really good creative discussions about this project. And um, it just kind of came to us because 
firstly, the project started with me literally unburying my father's legacy in the form of his photography collection. Um, You know, 10 years after he died, my brother and I went into our, the basement of our childhood home. And, you know, we knew our dad was a photographer. Obviously we grew up with his photos surrounding us on the walls, but we just wanted to go down there and see what was left or what he left behind. And I mean, it was an incredible body of work. Um, and you know, I could talk about his photography aside, but just unburying literally it was amongst stuff, you know, um, 10,000 slides was the start of this whole thing. And I use the word unburying too, because I unburied his story that I never knew by reaching out to the people that knew him and loved him. And then what really surfaced is my story. You know, I did not intend for this book to be about me in any way initially, but it became so much about me and my relationship with my dad. And, you know, this whole thing unfolded totally organically. I just wanted to share his photos because I think they're amazing. That's how this started. And it just turned into this whole other, you know, I share, there's like over 200 photos in the book and and his, he really was an, an immense talent. But along with the photos is is really great written content about the story of his life and the story of my limited time with him and my experience of his death. And so there's just so much unburying that was done, has been done. And when you read the book, you, you see what's unburied um, as you go through. Um, so that's kind of how that came about. And we were just on a mountain and it just kind of like the word unburying just keep kept popping up over and over. And so that's how it came about. Sander, I have a question. What was it like? uncovering, going through those photos, what kind of emotions were coming up for you? Honestly, the photo going through the photos was very joyful for me. Um, you know, there, I experienced a a lot of emotion in this project, uh, a lot of sorrow, a lot of sadness, a lot of laughter, like, you know, in terms of the storytelling, but with the photos themselves, firstly, I just gained this appreciation for not only my father's prolific collection, but he he was just unbelievably talented. And I think his photography is unique. I've never seen anything like it, but coupling that with the storytelling and learning about him, it allowed me to appreciate his photography so much more because like I would see, I would hear or read a story about my dad, for example, he was a little kid and he was, he was going to go to the statue of Liberty with his cousin. And this is his cousin who told me the story and my dad fell. They were playing outside the apartment and he fell and he hit his knee. And if, for those who are not familiar, familiar with hemophilia, one of the main symptoms is internal bleeding and his, his knee like blew up like a balloon. And that was the first time that my dad's cousin realized that he had, you know, a disease or an illness of any kind. And then as I'm going through the photos, I see these incredible photos of the Statue of Liberty. And this is kind of a a literal example. There are also lots of metaphorical examples as well. But, you know, I I, I put myself in in my dad's shoes when he's snapping that photo. And I'm wondering, one, is he consciously thinking about his past experience at the Statue of Liberty? Or is it just ingrained in him? And there's some reason why 
he was drawn to that angle or to that moment to, to snap that photo. And in a more, in a more broad sense, I feel that his photography is very human uh, when you look at it, or if you look at it, I describe it as deeply human. And, you know, I've come to realize that I think his photography was his way of processing his own grief, his own illnesses. You know, he had a lot of challenges in his life that he didn't talk about, but he, I do believe that he used his creative talent and artistic talent to, to process whatever challenges he was going through. And so, you know, there, there's that processing and then there's the physical act of going through and archiving 10,000 slides, which I don't need to go into that, but it was a, it was a whole ton of work. <laughs> um, but it was really, it was an amazing um, endeavor that, that I really enjoyed. Interesting you say that about archiving. Um, I embarked um, on a project um, almost two decades ago of taking every photograph I could get my hands on and scanning them into a computer. And mm -hmm. it was right around the time where faces on the Mac was just allowing you to now put faces into folders. So I have a folder for each of our family members of every photo I have my hands on with their face in it into their photo. Good for you. That is no small task. No, it was. now it's a lot easier because photos just recognize the spaces. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was, uh, I would say it was a several year project that I embarked on uh, two decades ago. It's, it's a worthwhile endeavor. And if you go to my social media pages, which we can share whenever, I share a, a bunch about just the process of, you know, what went behind and into creating this project. And there's a bunch about like the scanning and archiving of the photos. One of, one of the things um, over the years, I've spent a lot of time sitting with a lot of people over the years, just really, I call it sacred space. They let me into their story and they share their story. And, um, and, and how often so much of the story after a person's death is about their death. And you have this person who has, you know, some people, it's a very short life. Some people, it's a little longer. Some people maybe longer than that, but, but there was life and it takes some time sometimes for people to get to where they can reconnect with their person's life because so much of their grief is, but they died and they're not here. And, and that's a real struck. That's the big struggle part, but I've, I've watched so many people that when they can reconnect with their life and it seems like photos writings, um, you know, stories about them. Those are, those are things that can capture that piece. And so it was interesting to me when you said that you're looking through the photos was a joyous, you know, experience. Um, and I've heard that from so many people that when they're able to, um, there's a term that they use in the, in the bereavement field called continuing bonds. And it's that idea of for years in the bereavement field, we had people talking about the death and their grief and how do you work through and how do you cope? And more recently we've started including, well, tell me about your person. Like, what is their story? How do you connect with them in that? What does that mean to you? You know, and it, it's made a little bit of a shift in that more recently. And I can see where this work that you've put together will um, continue some of that, um, that movement that I think is important. Yeah. And, you know, looking back on my experience of, of loss when I was younger, 
I have felt disappointment that even, you know, sitting in a therapy room, my therapist never said, tell me your dad's story. Um, and that felt like a missed opportunity. Um, I do remember in a bereavement group, one, one of the few things I remember vividly and being very helpful was, um, actually, well, it's not ironic. It's very apt was creating a, a, a small piece of memorial art where we, we like created, uh, I think they called it like a memory cushion or something. And I, and I would just grab, you know, grab like a few artifacts. Like I think it, I had my dad's tie and a photo and a couple other things. And we pinned them to these cushions. And I just remember of all the grief work I did as a kid, that was the one that I don't know, didn't suck. <laughs> it like, yeah. you know, and I yeah. use that term only because I think that's something I would have said as a kid. Um, yeah. but that's how it felt. And so, um, we talk about continued bonds, you know, that's been a major outcome of my project is that my father and I have a new relationship, one in which we're actually interdependent because in order to share his photos, he needs me to tell the story. And in order to tell the story, I really need his photos. And so we really are dependent on each other now. And I'll add to that, which is that, you know, this has been transformative for me so much to the point where I felt not only compelled to, to publish this book, but to take that a step further. And I've created a grief workshop where I broke down my creative process into 10 steps each step is actionable. And at the end of the workshop, participants have a very concrete guide for how they can memorialize their person creatively. And I've done it a few times and it's just been amazing. People have shared such great stories and, you know, it's led people onto their own paths of you know, whatever their art would look like for me, it was a book and it's turned into a few other things, but for other people, it's a dance or a meal or a trip, or it it doesn't matter. It's whatever their creative leanings are, but it's facilitated, you know, some great continuing bonds with people they've lost. I love that. I can see, and I can definitely see where that would be helpful to to people. Um, uh, For many, many years in our Western culture, um, you know, we, we were telling people that when someone dies, you break the bonds, you, you have to cut those, cut, sever that relationship and move on and start new relationships. And, and really until recently, when we recognize, wait a minute, we're, we're doing it's a travesty and we're not doing justice by people and we're not helping people because the natural inclination is to, is to connect, uh, not to disconnect. We often say that just because our person is no longer with us in physical presence, that doesn't mean our relationship ends, just changes. It can't. Yeah. You, can, you can say move on all you want, but you don't. We it's don't. Ha- it's how do you take with. Exactly. We don't. It, it, that doesn't a- accurately reflect the human condition if we try to say that you move on, because we just don't. You're exactly right. Well, Xander, we, we, uh, we're almost out of time, yeah. uh, but our people like to connect with our guests. And I'm curious how, how might those who are listening in connect with you, with your work? Um, how might they do that? Sure. So the easiest thing would be to go to my website, which is randymasterphoto.com. Randy was my father's name. So um, the website features his photos. 
Uh, it's where they can pick up a copy of the book, but also on that site, um, there are links to contact me by email and also to my Facebook and Instagram pages. Um, and through social media, I've, I've done a, a lot of sharing about this project, but also just my grief journey, um, in general. And yeah, so that's randymasterphoto.com and, um, feel free to shoot me an email or message. I always respond and I hope you pick up a copy of the book and I hope it helps you. Sander, we want to thank you so much for being a guest here and let's talk death and sharing the inspiration behind your work and your book and, and your story, um, about healing. Thanks so much for having me. It's really real pleasure to, to speak with you. If you would like to learn more about Heal Grief, visit us at HealGrief.org. To find other conversations or to inquire about becoming a guest speaker, visit us at HealGrief.org backslash Let's Talk Death. And if you feel inspired to support us, remember, no gift is too small. Visit us at HealGrief.org backslash donations, or you can donate right through our homepage. Well, that's it until next time on Let's Talk Death, where we normalize, educate, and demystify the taboo around death, dying, and the journey of grief.